Hello everyone and welcome to Indie Radio. This is broadcast number 24. We just upgraded our services. I re-updated it thanks to Henry. We were really cramped for time and our money was low in our PayPal so it was a bit stressful but Henry sent us money so thank you. Uh, everyone can thank him for ha- being able to do the radio show today so thank you very much. Um, today on the show we have the news and the interview is normal. Uh, indie Radio is an indie game development talk show which is here to bring you interviews with both large and lesser known indie developers. Uh, recap the latest news, debate about topics in indie gaming, and to give you some tips and tricks for your journey into programming. I'm your host, Brett Hudson, broadcasting from the Midwest United States. And I'm your co-host, Ian Jones, also known as Wits, broadcasting from the East Coast. Alright, and we're going to start the Up news <laughs> right after this. So, for news, we're just going to go through um, what we can find on the Indie Games blog and probably have some little commentary in between, so it's not just awkward silence. We've been really um, booked this morning, especially with the social network that we've been developing for the last, I don't know, three weeks, would you say? Yeah, two or three weeks, something like that. Um, We are launching that today, and basically... It's it's probably closest related to Twitter, except it's a lot more complex because you can create your own projects underneath your account, and you can link other people to your projects. Just usually projects would be a game that you're creating, and each project has its separate feed, so people can either follow you, or they can follow a project of yours, or they can follow everything that you do. So then, you know, they, if they don't want to hear about you, how you just took the biggest dump of your life, you know, they can just follow just your follow project. Follow projects instead of following your, I mean, you. Yeah. I'll say something rude there, but I'm just really <laughs> tired. So yeah, um, the site is called IndieBurst. It is not IndieBurst.com yet, but it can be found at IndieFunction.com slash Burst. We don't have a link up on the main site right now, but right now we're composing a tweet. And um, if you want to join, you know, sign up. We are hoping that we get some people signed up pretty quickly here and uh, that it can start rolling. <clears throat> uh, we, we've been planning it out since October, actually. We came up with the idea back then. Just we started working on it for a day and then forgot about it. And this past month, we were like, hey, why don't we start working on that again? So... Uh, we decided to work on it, and now it's being released. Alright, and the tweet is out there, so if you need the link, you can go find that. Um, we had some private beta testers, and they helped us get most of the bugs out, but there probably are still going to be bugs in the open beta, so if you could help us by sending those in, that would be great. All right, Thank you, so- Snail. <laughs> So for stencil news, there is the new stencilpedia, they call it. It's basically a giant 
you know, tutorial log thing. Uh, what are they called? I can't think of the word right now. Um, um, <laughs> don't know what to tell you, Brad. Documentation. That's the word that I'm looking for. It's documentation stencil. And they're, uh, they have a few major points between this. Uh, there's no structure, aside from the getting started article. There's mo no progression or structure. You had to figure out things for yourself. Uh, coverage of the wrong topics. There was disappropriate coverage of unimportant things like the website, peripheral tools, and totally obvious things like how to save and publish. I think these are up updates from the old Central PD that they're talking about. And then uh, there's key concepts and features were completely missed. They added them up now. And then something about PowerPoint-itis. So apparently they're allergic to PowerPoint or something. Itis means it causes swelling. That must suck. Yeah. Um, also, the Stencil has an App Store roundup. It looks like some games that are on the App Store right now, uh, including Bunny Cannon, Penny Arcade, Icy Slide, and Block Dozer. Um, I like the art styles for them. Block Dozer looks very simple, although it's got a cartoony feel to it, so I'm not sure. So if you want to check those out, you can find them at blog.stencil.com, and you can also look at the new Stencilpedia, obviously, at stencil.com slash stencilpedia. Hopefully you can spell that. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> Alright, and then with Skira, obviously the people that created um, the Construct, 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 they have a new article about Internet Explorer 10, how it's fast and native. <laughs> That's a first for Microsoft. Anyways. <clears throat> uh, basically they talk about it and said that their last HTML five gaming performance measurements, there have been three new releases of Firefox and two new releases of Chrome, but there have been no official updates for Internet Explorer, blah, 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 and it goes on about the speeds of the um, different pro programs. Internet Explorer 9 is the lowest, Internet Explorer 10 is the second lowest, followed by Firefox 12, Chrome 18, then Firefox 12 again. Oh, that's with WebGL, and then Chrome 18 with WebGL. So... Um, hopefully, Internet Explorer can speed up their stuff and possibly get in WebGL so they aren't just limited to the uh, 2D games. And um, Chrome and Firefox are four times faster or more efficient with particles than Internet Explorer. They're both at 60 frames per second, and then Internet Explorer 9 and 10 are between 10 and 20. So... It looks like Internet Explorer really isn't doing too hot with the HTML5, as they always have been behind, obviously. So, I don't know. I don't well, even actually, see, I don't uh, even see why they keep making browsers. Least, was uh, faster with my library than Safari when there's a lot of strain on it. So, even though I tend to hate Internet Explorer, Internet Explorer 9 is way better than previous stuff that they've done. Like, there is a massive gap there between IE8 and IE9 where it got way better, even though the uh, interface of it looks shittier, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> and then uh, there are a few... Or, there are a few bundles going on right now. Obviously, the IUP bundle that we talked with the people that created it last week, that was a lot of fun. And that's still going on, uh... Funds seem to have uh, started coming in slower, 
So if you guys want to support that, which I recommend that you do because there are some great games in there and the money is going towards the developers to work on their new projects. Um, some of the games include Caveman Craig 2, uh, Koya Rift, uh, Special Edition or something like that, and uh, some other great games that have been made with Game Maker. And uh, you can simply donate to it by going to iupbundle, that's I-U-P, bundle.com, and just donate via their Kickstarter or the new thing that they've started working with. I'm not exactly sure what that is. And then Congregate just sent out a weekly email a little bit ago, and Ian David B.S. I have a question. Isn't that what this is about? If zombie, terrorist, communist, alien, robot, ninjas attached your high er, headquarters, what would you do? Congregate responded by saying, We would probably break into our secret supply of rocket launchers and chainsaws that we keep up in the ceiling above our storage closet just for such purposes, as well as enlist in the genuine... Genetically modified guinea pigs we accidentally created a few years back, but with whom we have an excellent rapport. Rapport? Okay. Uh, if all else fails, we'll lure them into the office, blow it up, and walk calmly into the flames. Or from the flames, I'm sorry. And then some other stuff. Alright. So, I'm glad that you guys would do that. I'm a bit concerned that they have chainsaws. Uh, the Indievania, that's one of those Steam-like engine bundle thingies from Jigs stuff. Flux capacitor, you know. Um, they have just released their first themed indie bundle called The Bundle for Dead. Four zombie-themed indie games for $4. All DRM-free. PC downloads, $4 price available only until April 9th. And then the price goes back to the normal $16, so you get it 75% off. It's a dollar game. Uh, it includes Three Dead Zed, Zombie Football Carnage, Coral Slayer, and Metal Dead. And then Indievania also talks about in their email some new games that have been released, such as Orbitron Revolution, Mysterious Castle, Omega Lawdown, and Out There Somewhere. And then some news down at the bottom saying Bundle Support key support added, and coupon codes. Unity also had their March news sent out um, just 23 hours ago for me. And it says that they've had a lot new, or a lot of updates with the Adobe and Flash export options. That uh, They're working with them to make it even better. So they said that a brand new licensing structure for Flash games are going to be put in place by Adobe pretty soon. So they strongly recommend that you read both Unity's and Adobe's blog posts on these topics for details, which can be found at the Unity3D.com website. Both of them can be. And then you can test your existing Unity game with the latest beta of the Unity web player. It's available for, full, for both Windows and Mac. And then there is an Edge Magazine Create Contest, so I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it looks like you can enter in to the contest to win a Unity Pro license. I'm guessing you have to create a cover for it or something. I'd have to look at the link, and obviously I'd have to read it up, which is something that you don't really do on a radio show is sit here and read. <laughs> and then the Unite 12 Conference, 
uh, happens between August 22nd and 24th in Amsterdam. They said make sure to do early bird registration to save 15% on the price of administration. And then they said until April 20th, we, they're accepting submissions for speakers for the Unite 12. So if you want to speak there about random stuff, you have uh, 20 days to do that. Um, that looks like it's about it through my emails that I get. Um, IndieGames.com I don't see anything. There is a new Humble Bundle out. It is the Indie... Or, I mean, the Humble... Humble Bundle for Android. That's how they said it. And, basically, it's another bundle that's available for the Android operating system. The games are also available for Windows and Mac, and, of course, Linux. Uh, right now, there are five main games with an extra game, as long as you beat the average, which is currently $6.42. The games include Snuggle Truck, Cannabalt, Zenbound 2, Cogs, Abaddon, The Black Fortress, and the bonus game, Swords and Soldiers. As always, proceeds go to the developers, the Humble Bundle people, uh, the Electronics Fund Foundation, and the Child's Play Charity. It, uh, they're all cross-platform, you pay what you want, support charity, and you can use them on Steam. Um, quite a few of these games, if not all of them, are actually doing their debut on Android through this bundle. So, um, like, Cannibal just came out for Android because of this bundle, and that was really quite cool. And my email is going crazy right now. And you should add Mike. <laughs> yes, I should add Mike. All right, Mike's going to be joining us um, for the call. Is uh, he going to pick up? There's Mike. We're talking about the Humble Bundle right now. Have you picked that up, Mike? Yes. I was uh, messing around with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only games that I've gotten so far are Cannibalt and Cogs for my Android. But both of them are beautifully done. The Cannabalt has a new 3D feature, which, you know, gives it a little extra depth. Although sometimes I like changing it back to 2D just for the retro feel of it. And then Cogs, beautifully done. I. That's fantastic. Which ones have you tried, Mike? I tried Cannabalt, and uh, I preferred the uh, 2D too, mm -hmm. without the 3D. But it's really cool with my PlayStation phone. Um, Cannibalt works with the uh, X button, um, the up button, and then I can even use the triggers if I uh, feel like it, which is what I usually do because then I can keep my phone closed and just hit the triggers. <laughs> yeah, some games um, accidentally map themselves to the wrong buttons, though, and that can get annoying. Like mm -hmm. one time I was using the uh, start button as like na the action button, so mm -hmm. it was really strange. Yeah, that so there's upsides and downsides. Yep. Uh, there are two days, five hours, 37 minutes, and 32 seconds left of the Humble Bundle, so you better go get yours soon. This one seems to not be going as well as the others, considering there's only 100,303 bundles sold, compared to the normal, you know, about 300,000. So still very good, though. It's still good, but um, I'm guessing it's because it's um, mostly Android games, 
You know, it, it sounds like it's just exclusive for Android, so some people are like, I don't have Android, so I'm left out. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, hopefully uh, that'll keep going well. They have a Google+, Facebook, and Twitter button in their corner. Hopefully they'll have an Indieverse button pretty soon, too. Ooh. Ooh. Do some static. All right, and um, do you guys see any other news? I think that's just about it all. All right, um, we did talk about Burst a little bit ago. Uh, Mike just asked <laughs> when we were going to talk about it, but um, basically... Um, a little recap for people who jumped in after we started the show. Um, IndieBurst is a new indie gaming and indie game development social network created by ourselves at IndieFunction.com. Uh, mainly me and Ian uh, developed it, although... Ian and I! <laughs> Ian and I, I'm sorry. I'm tired. You better not be bursting with that bad grammar. <laughs> um, that's very clever. But... Um, Zach created the original design, and Ian has done some updates. I'm not a designer, so I didn't do any of that. But Which basically, is, you can sign up as a Zach gamer. Zach designed a logo in the background. <laughs> you can design a, or create a... Damn it, you messed me up. You can create an account as a gamer or a developer. You can change between gamer and developer later on by modifying which platforms you develop for, which is pretty much the only difference between the two accounts. And when you create an account, uh, you have your main feed, which you post to, which is called Bursting on our site, thus Indie Burst. And it's set up quite similar to Twitter, except it's a lot more um, complex, because you can create projects under your account. And these projects, you can have be uh, your games, uh, maybe... Website? Your music. Well, kind of like how uh, Team Meat has the... Super Meat Boy kind of account, and then they have their own separate accounts. Mm -hmm. You won't have to make a separate account. You can just post straight from your account that you have right now. Yep, basically. So it's it's like Twitter, but it really just makes it a lot easier if you're a developer. If I was Team Meat, I would create a Team Meat user, and then I would create a project, you know, Super Meat Boy, and then you can add contributors. So then I'd add then, admins. Like Meat Boy for you know iOS and Android and stuff mm -hmm. and crap like that too. And then, um, right now, the projects are pretty bare. Um, they're... Indie Function has, like, three. <laughs> I just... I, I was adding that in, which is why I was so quiet a minute ago. Uh, but... Um, I just burst into the radio one. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that way, you know, people can follow you, or they can follow your projects. Like, if they don't care about one of your games, then really they don't have to get yes. updates on it. And if they don't want to hear about you taking a huge dump, then they don't have to know <laughs> about, about you. it. <laughs> and, um, we are still going to be doing updates over the course of the next month, such as the, um, the projects page is definitely going to be upgraded a bunch. There's going to be a, uh, music tab, so then you can upload your soundtrack to it. There's going to be a screenshots thing. Um, we're hoping to add instant play. So you can actually upload your games to our site, or perhaps link them from right another now, site. Mm -hmm. I was working on that this morning, trying to get a uh, little code for that stuff. It's so. mostly about virus checking. That's our main problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we were thinking that we do it via an external site, so then, you know, they check <coughs> for viruses. <I> mean, <laughs> external site, right. But yeah. 
Um, so if you want to sign up for that, the URL is indiefunction.com slash burst. Uh, we're hoping to buy indieburst.com pretty soon, but obviously we're going to um, have to get a hold of the guy that currently owns it and uh, buy it. He, he just has it parked, so it shouldn't be too hard. But if you want to join, uh, go to indiefunction.com slash burst. If you, if you don't want to type it, we have the link up on our Twitter, and obviously we can put in our IRC, which I'm actually doing right now. So, do we hello, just make IRC. an account? We don't even care if you're inactive. Just do it. <laughs> actually, yes, do, but just do it anyway. We're not that desperate. Um, we feel irrelevant right now. <laughs> All right, so hopefully hours on you. So hopefully this will help indie game developers uh, be more productive and uh, reach out to their fans, and you know, just post about it. Be less productive. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like Brent said. Yep. All right. Um, I believe that's it for the news. So next we're going to do our Edmund McMillan interview. No, no, no. Edmund McMillan interview was pre-recorded. It was our first pre-recorded interview in ages, and it, it was ages. quite weird. But basically, Edmund ages. doesn't wake up for months. another. Same thing. <laughs> Edmund doesn't wake up for another four or five hours, so obviously we couldn't get him to go live on the show. But we did get a bunch of people to send us questions on Twitter and then answer them. So uh, here's the interview. It is about an hour long. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our interview. This interview has been pre-recorded. It was recorded on Wednesday, March 28th, in case anyone was wondering. But today we have a very special guest, Edmund McMillan, with us. Hello. All right, we're pretty excited to have him on the show. Well, really excited. Over the course of the last few days, you guys have sent us questions on Twitter and through IRCs and private messages, and I've actually been a bit overwhelmed with all the questions. We'll try to get through all these and ask them, and then at the end, we'll ask him some questions that we've had. First one would be from Gagplex. He asked, I would really like to know when we could expect a version of the Binding of Isaac add-on that will work with DRM-free Unholy Edition. Well, the Unholy Edition... Oh, wait, like like the Unholy Edition? Is, is that the question? DRM-free version like the Holy Unholy Edition? Because the Unholy Edition is DRM-free. Oh, he's talking about the new add-on, I believe. Oh, the Wrath of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, whenever the Humble Bundle wants to do a bundle with Isaac and Wrath of the Lamb is the main game is when I'll, I'll end up doing that. I just don't have an easy way to put it out. That's the only reason why. I'm, you know, it's sometimes it's a bitch to put different versions out and try to keep track of all these different versions and then find like a marketplace that would sell the version or whatever else. So I usually just stick with, with Isaac, I just stick with Steam and Humble Bundle. So whenever the Humble Bundle guys want to do um, another bundle with Isaac as the main game, because it wasn't the main game before, it was an incentive game. So actually not that many people got it off the bundle. I think it was like 80,000 as opposed to the, you know, 300,000 people that actually got the bundle. But, um, the, uh, so yeah, whenever they want it as a main game, I'll totally, you know, do that. And, uh, and hopefully maybe end of this year, uh, and I'll put the, 
uh, Wrath of the Lamb in there as well, and then it'll be DRM-free. But before that, I, I doubt that I'll do anything with it just because it's a pain in the ass. And, you know, Steam isn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minecraft is me asks, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think about this often, actually. This is, um, for some reason, this is something I do to relax my brain when I'm trying to sleep. If I've got, like, a lot of ideas and I can't sleep at all. I'll fantasize about a superpower. And uh, recently, it's been the ability to, like, control gravity um, in certain areas to the point of, like, being able to crush things completely or fly. So that's my uh, that's my superpower for for this month that I, like I fantasize it. about. Uh, before that, I mean, it's usually, you know, Wolverine Claws. You can't go wrong there. <laughs> okay, they're wondering if... Uh... So, touchscreen is a pain for most of the game I played. How are they going to make uh, Super Meat Boy work on the phone? And what's after Super Meat Boy? We are going to talk about this in great length over a period of development time. So, I can't really explain it all here, but... Because um, that's kind of the... What we're... Like, we're, we're approaching uh, touchpad development mm-hmm. in a very logical way. We're, we're playing a great deal of action-based touch games on, you know, a bunch of different touch devices and trying to figure out what people are doing right, what people are doing wrong, and why. And uh, sadly, there's a lot of really bad business structures, um, not really games. I wouldn't call them games. I'd call them business structures that are used out there that are based around uh, giving you... Uh, giving you a game and then allowing you for free and then allowing you to pay in order to get things that you would normally get in the game by playing and those rewards would just give you advantage. It's the most broken and it has nothing to do with video games. Like it's uh-huh. If you're doing that to your game, your game isn't a game. It's simply a business structure to way to make money because all you're doing is <laughs> you're telling people, my game isn't fun enough for you to play it in order to get these upgrades yourself. Uh, so how about you pay some money and make it fun? But really, it's not fun. It's just empty, empty reward. Like it's like imagine going going to get the high score in Donkey Kong, and quite literally just adding more coins to make your score go up. That's essentially what they do, and it's just like the most idiotic thing in the world. And it's very similar to a lot of the abusive tactics that are used on Facebook, where they kind of addict you and pull you in. So uh, one of the things we're going to do is, of course, avoid that. But as far as how the game will play on the touchscreen, I don't really want to talk about it yet until we know for sure, because we're still we're still trying to see what works. But the goal is to make an action-based platformer um, that works really, really well control-wise on the device. So um, we will we will we will see what happens. But I'm quite confident, and uh, the bar is really low. that's probably the reason why i'm quite confident the bar is quite low um especially with action-based games the only it seems like the only really good games on um the system are like turn-based or uh you know slow-paced games like rpg kind of stuff like that stuff that works with a cursor um action-based platformers are horrible uh, mostly because everybody tries to do hey let's put some arrows on the screen and 
make you know make a, <laughs> you know completely import it basically they basically port an existing platformer onto the mm-hmm. device put some buttons on there that are like i end up pressing the my ipad too hard and then there's the friction it's just really really gross and weird and feels nothing like what a platformer should feel like mm-hmm. you get you get no mental feedback from pressing at something that doesn't actually press down or give you any sign of anything like there's there are some tricks to do it like visually and you know with, with audio to make them people real make people realize that they pressed a button but most people don't even do it at all in in any touch action based game so yeah those are some of the, I'm, I'm mostly listing what, what we're not doing than what we are doing uh, <laughs> but that's kind of where we are right now and uh it's it's all that's all i can really talk about before we even officially announce it because we haven't even officially announced it but i hope to uh, I think I think we'll be able to announce the official name and uh, start listing off the things we want to do and what we don't want to do soon enough, um, maybe in the next week. Well, I like that you guys are taking this into a thought process and doing what would be better and what would be, you know, what's not so good and making sure that it's perfect because you know, a while back we interviewed Vlambeer and they did a very similar thing with their port of Super Crate Box. Yeah, yeah. actually did that really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the so, the controls on that feel and, uh, incredible. Random people test it, which actually I think is a brilliant idea. But uh, basically, you don't have any bias that way, so you just walk up to somebody and kind of go, "Oh, hey, what do you think? Can you play this, or is it too difficult, or what?" And yeah, yeah, I really, I really like those guys. I'm, I'm not. It sounds horrible, but I'm not. I, I'm not a fan of the touch the touch screen controls for Box. I'm not a fan of any touchscreen controls that are like that with a port. But I really, really love what they're doing. I think they're one of the best um, new indie developers out there, and they're extremely promising. I love, I love all their work. Um, but I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm more for games that are actually designed specifically with the platform in mind firsthand if you're developing for it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that's it. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of things about the... Like I can like list off the good games, like the the good games that are actually designed for the platform on like one hand, and they're not really that good, and like it's just kind of sad. And I feel like there are a lot of people out there. I mean, obviously the market's really huge, and there's got to be a lot of people out there that want a substantial experience that was designed specifically for the platform, and not just copying some existing, you know, PC or console game, and then just you know porting. A, a you know gamepad over the screen. It's like it's so half-assed, and everybody's just doing knockoffs. It's just it's kind of a sad environment, and we we kind of want to make public our development thought process, um, mm-hmm. not not exactly what we are doing, but kind of how we are thinking about the whole thing and what we really don't want to do, um, and maybe kind of open people's minds a bit of exactly why the marketplace is a bit fucked up. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we're right and pe- we, people really do want a substantial game experience and not just a little pick up and play, flick your finger around the screen or, you know, <laughs> it's a horrible port, uh, because we, we'd like to make a game that was, you know, intentionally designed with the system in mind. And, you know, the, the sad fact of the matter is like, there's only a handful of those on there that are good. And it's like, cut the rope is probably the best, but it's almost, I mean, no offense to cut the rope, but it's only, it only seems almost offensive to say that that's the best game out there on the market. Like, where's my water? These games are made for little kids, but they are quite possibly the most fully realized 
and best design games. You got like Swords and Sorcery, um, you've got uh, Infinity Blade, and you don't have much else. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's the games that are ported, and there's probably only one that's really good, and that's World of Goo, which is amazing. Oh yeah, like, that was fantastically done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, it's a cursor-based game, so cursor-based games can port perfectly, usually. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like a uh, game I played a shitload of recently, which was a portable Flash game that's free, is uh, Kingdom Rush, which is probably the best base defense game um, I've ever played. Uh, but again, you know, it's a base defense game. I don't know, it's just, there's, it's weird, it's a very bizarre marketplace, mm-hmm. where, like, the, the highest grossing game out there is a total piece of garbage rip-off game of an existing Flash game called Crush the Castle, which we all know is called Angry Birds, and it is it is a game that has very little design to it, and is almost completely dependent on luck. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, there's just... There's a lot going on there that I feel like could be improved on, and instead of just being a pessimist and saying it sucks, we're never going to develop for it, we decided, you know, this would be really hard to do. This would be a challenge to make a game that is intentionally made for the system that might be good. We hope it's good. And uh, so that's kind of where we're going with it. Instead of saying it sucks, uh, it's hopeless, we're going to say, hey, we think there's a lot of people on here who would really like this kind of game because we would like this kind of game, and there's a lot of people who own the system and play the system as a gaming system, so why not make a full fleshed-out game for it? So, that's that's a, my really long response to, to the simple question of how the controls are going to work. But, um, we will see how the controls are going to work. I am glad that you guys are looking at it from this perspective, whereas, you know, touchscreen controls aren't the best, and you guys want to make touchscreen controls work for you. So I I really like that. Yeah, I mean, we'll try anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's obviously been done. Like the games I've mentioned, use them perfectly. Um, so it's it's I mean, it's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. Might might be simplified, but sometimes simplified controls can actually have a lot of depth. So we'll see. Want to add anything, Ian? <laughs> well, I mean, it's Super Meat Boy, so. It can really only get so much more difficult anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob S. S. why Meat Boy? Why not Vegetable Boy? Yeah, that's a joke question, if he knows it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to even... I mean, you, you know that question asked to me in almost every, in any, every interview of the first 50 interviews that we did when we announced Super Meat Boy. And, uh... I used to to have witty comments. I don't anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I believe the last one was, fuck off. (laughs) I was was as witty as God, and this I've given up completely. I don't have anything. Um, Okay, then. (laughs) So uh, the next question would be, uh, where do you find the motivation to continue working on games? That's from that snail. Yes. (laughs) That random snail um... on Twitter. (laughs) People, people ask me that, like, I, I, there's a, hey, who was it, someone I, I think it was a friend of mine, someone I ran into on the streets and something like, you know, I saw the movie and you guys sold a million copies of Meat Boy and your sets, they don't have to work on anything anymore, right? And it was like, the idea of not being able to or not having something to work on anymore is the most 
horrible thing I can imagine. Like I, uh, it's, I, I guess it's just different types of people, you know, and different goals. But my goal was never to become some millionaire, you know, and be set for life or anything, anything like that. It was always to make games. I was poor for a very long time and I've been doing this for 10 years and, and I wasn't doing it really for money. I was doing it, you know, hopefully to make a little bit of money so I could live, but uh-huh. it was because I really loved making games. And, um, I mean, I think it kind of showed like after I did Meat Boy, I did Isaac and that was my vacation game. You know, that was a game that I, I did, you know, as a game jam just for fun and it turned into a bigger thing. And in a lot of ways, the, the, the iPad Meat Boy is kind of the same way where it's like, this was kind of a, a joke that turned into, you know, a prototype that turned into, Hey, wait, let's try this. Like, and uh, it's as simple as like I, I can't stop making games because I am not a happy person if I'm not creating something. Like I need to have a project. I need to have a project um, in order to function as a human being and like be even remotely <laughs> pleasant to be around. Like it's just how I work. Ever since I was very young, I've always had projects, personal projects that I've worked on, and which is I guess why I'm able. I was able to get where I am. Like, I've always just been a self-motivated person who, you know, not 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 just thrives on, you know, creative projects, but need them to function. Like, I, I, in order to be happy, I need to be creating something, um, or I feel like a loser. And in a lot of ways, I know Tommy feels exactly the same way, so there's a, I know a lot of developers that feel the same way. Like, you, you don't feel special in any way unless you're doing what makes you special, and, you know, it's clear what makes me special is creating things. So if I'm not doing that, I feel like I might as well be dead <laughs> because that's kind of what I'm here for. Um, but yeah, so that's where the motivation comes from. Like it's, it doesn't come from anywhere. It's just there. It's haunting. It's not exactly a positive thing. Like there's been, there's been times in my life where I've been severely depressed because of this, because of this haunting voice that keeps me up for days that won't let me go. Like, because I can't stop. I'm like a fucking shark. Like, I need to keep swimming or I die. <laughs> so, you know, it's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways, and people only see the positive. Like, oh, this guy fucking makes shitloads of games or whatever else, but I can't stop. Like, because I'm not going to be happy unless I'm doing something. Um, it's just gotten to that point. And, uh, but I'm very happy when I'm working on stuff. I'm, I'm, that's why I'm the happiest, you know? It's, it's, like a, it's like I'm playing a game and I'm discovering stuff as I'm developing, it's very, very fun and very rewarding, and I'm not a huge fan of releasing, but <laughs> I like the development process, which is why I continue. So the longer we keep you on here, the more uh, irritable you will be, because you're kind of going on a relapse. <laughs> Keeping you away from your projects. <laughs> well, the, 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 the honest thing about it, too, is thinking about the projects and still working on them. Like, I spend most of my time thinking about the projects, which still counts for me like that's that's where actually i spend most of my time period working on projects you know i do i do art and design but the design takes you don't count it like it's not like i'm counting what i'm designing as like uh i'm drawing on paper and sketching ideas and prototyping things it's like quite literally me with my eyes open at night at five five in the morning till seven in the morning you know going through and, and trying to problem solve different things and that's where, you know, all my time kind of goes. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, 
I'd be lying if I didn't say that I didn't wasn't briefly thinking about different design ideas as we were talking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah, you know, I can usually keep myself occupied, even if it looks like I'm not. But there are of course times where I've hit pockets of of I I feel like I can't do something or I don't have a project that I that I really want to do, and when that happens, it sucks. Um, but luckily, it has been. I have a lot like on the back burner. Like when I'm feeling really motivated, I just write down everything, all the ideas, even if they're stupid or if they seem pointless or if they're just not even really ideas, but more or less like vague things. <laughs> I just write them down because I know that if I ever do hit a pocket where I'm not feeling that inspired to work on something you know new or whatever, I can go through back through there and see if I can find something that might motivate me to think, oh, this is a cool idea, maybe I can explore this. Awesome. There's another really long answer for it. I feel like that's true about uh, most developers with the whole, I mean, the ones who really stick with it for a while, it's kind of like you have to keep making something or else you kind of just don't really feel complete, essentially. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of developers feel that way. I mean, I do feel... included. <laughs> yeah, I do feel happier when I'm programming. And, yeah, the same thing with the whole thinking things over. Uh, I especially do that though when I uh, know that I have to do something that's gonna, you know, be one of those things you have to sit there and just you have to keep programming it for a long time before you can test it. It's kind of like you don't really want to get around to doing that because you're feeling lazy, and then we finally do. It's like okay, but uh, before that, you know, you just think about the entire thing over in your head. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, game design is 99% thinking, just not even really doing. Like, I mean, there's a lot of work in programming, no doubt. Like, but. Yeah, you think more than you actually work. <clears throat> yeah, I read a long time ago when I was first getting into programming with C++, my book said that one of the most common problems with new programmers is that they try to program before they think. And you just reminded me of that because you should always think out what you're going to do before you start to program. So. Yeah, I mean, that's it's crucial. Um, I guess it's just something that most designers probably don't even think about because it's just second nature but <clears throat> I know the uh, I mean with anything like you have to unless you want to waste a lot of your time it's best to think in depth <clears throat> about where things could go wrong you know all the all the holes in, in the design before you start jumping in and putting some actual physical work behind it because <clears throat> you're gonna fall into holes as you go and it's best to try to at least have a rough idea of where these holes might be before you do it. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to end up wasting a shitload of time. So children, what we've learned from this is that procrastination can pay off. <laughs> yeah, just say I'm thinking. Perfect. I'm thinking. It's not an excuse, it's true. <clears throat> Pretty much. Alright, our next question is slightly inappropriate, so we'll just skip that for now. Uh, next oh, up, I'm slightly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you don't want to answer any questions about your genitals, though. Ah, oh, man, it's the usual, the common thing. <laughs> <laughs> Every interview, of course. All right, so Mario asks, uh, "Will Wrath of the Lamb be released DRM free?" Oh, we already had this question. Yeah, Dude, I don't know why you really like the DRM free thing. I don't really completely understand it. I mean, I mean, I kind of do. If you've got like a bad PC and you don't want Steam using up 
a teeny tiny bit of your processor, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It seems a little. Maybe they're just like, not buying it. Oh, uh, done, done, <laughs> done. I feel like that's the more likely thing. It's terrible, but if you want the DRM-free version of Wrath of the Lamb. Um, and you don't want to buy the Steam version, you can go ahead and pirate it, and just, if you feel bad about it, or if you want to give me your money, you can just buy it on Steam, and then get the pirated version, and then you can, you know, have a free conscience, or, or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't really care, but the only way to get the DRM... I feel like that should actually be legal, though, I mean... It's... <laughs> it is legal. Because, <laughs> I mean, you're still buying it, so it's just like you're getting a better version of it for your computer. I, mean... the, I think the law is, as long as you own, like, a physical copy of something, actually... you, can, you can pirate it. Alright, so Edmund, what aspects of games is your favorite to work on? Art, program, levels, etc. from Greg Lobanov. Um, I don't know, that's actually a hard question. It's, um, and it's something that I have to, like, be conscious of while I'm working because I usually tend to, to, to keep inspiration going when I'm working. I tend to work on stuff that I, that day, find more entertaining. Um, like, if I'm like, oh, I don't really feel like animating this cutscene, I'd rather work on level design, or mm -hmm. I don't really feel like doing level design today, I'll work on menus, or, you know, whatever else. Um, you know, my favorite aspect of, of, of games is just the design part, the thinking part. I like sketching ideas down on, the, on paper, and I like exploring those ideas as much as I possibly can before prototyping. That's probably the thing I like the most. <clears throat> and I guess secondary would be... I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. I, I can't <laughs> say I really enjoy any other aspect as much as design. So I think that's the prominent one. But, of course, I like drawing, you know? Because I draw. Uh, that's what I did before I did games. So uh, it's easy for me and it's relaxing. So I, I do enjoy that for the most part. Um, it just sometimes gets a little boring when you're like in the last month of development or whatever and you've got to get all this shit done that's not that exciting and you just want the game to be finished <laughs> so and usually then it's drawing isn't that fun but uh yeah I, I like i like exploring different styles and people tend to say that they can see you know it's a game i worked on from a mile away but i try my best to make things look different um i know the cutscenes the cutscenes in isaac and uh, the cutscenes in me boy look look a lot different, but, uh, mm -hmm. I think the actual game art looks, I think it looks different. I mean, some parts look similar. On to the next question. Another one from Vanov. You come up projects with a lot of energy and passion. What motivates you on a day-to-day -day basis? What motivates me on a day-to-day basis? Um, porn! Oh. <laughs> Be more like, specific. I, I honestly, the thing, the, the thing outside of games itself that motivates me the most to keep creating stuff is probably music. I, um, I'll listen to, like, if a new album comes out and I really like it, it's almost like this would be really awesome to work with, you know, like work alongside. And I'll play, put it on repeat and just go to work. And it's usually a, a huge motivator and... Uh, I really like music. I listen to a lot of music, a big range of music, and um, it's very inspiring artistically for me. And uh, I tend to just put on a good album and go to work. And uh, that's usually what motivates me. Sometimes a movie will do the same thing. Like, I'll go out and see a good movie or, you know, watch a good show or whatever and feel like, oh, I gotta make something. 
you know, it's any kind of art usually inspires me, and but the two that get to me the most are usually films or music. So when the new My Little Pony album comes out, you're like, oh, I gotta go buy this and be inspired, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'll be, be all over this that. This next game will be all about friendship, mysteriously. And then at the end, you gotta kill everyone, right? <laughs> Perfect. <sighs> friendship, magic, and death. Yay! Uh-oh. Are you yeah, still there? You got kind of quiet. Uh-oh. Oh, hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. yeah. Oh, call did cut out. Never mind. I thought you were ignoring us. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. Uh, Lynx asks, what game are you guys working on, and when is the movie release date? Uh, like, uh, well, we're working on, I'm working on the Isaac expansion and obviously the Meat Boy touch game mm-hmm. uh, Tommy and I are working on another game which is just you know every once in a while we'll just sync back up and talk about new ideas for it if we have new ideas for it and he's still working on I mean a lot of the tech that's going to go into the touch game is going to go into the next big game and the next big game will be quite large but you never know what will happen between it but it seemed like it's about a two year project bigger than Meat Boy so um, that's one of the reasons why we're also doing the Meat Boy game because it won't be like a two-year development cycle. But hopefully, it'll be like eight months at the most, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But um, the the next game seems like a much bigger project than Meat Boy, and we don't want to jump from Meat Boy straight to you know big old projects just like the last time. So we're I don't know. Who knows? I mean, it might, might feel inspired to do something completely different and jump onto that. I have no idea. But um, is there a second part to the question of what I'm working on? Oh, yeah. There was a second part asking when Indie Game the Movie is going to be released. That's kind of unrelated. No, I, I honestly don't know when it's actually going to be released. They're still doing the tour, and they keep adding more stops to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I thought it was just going to go through uh, March, but it seems to be, like, going now through April. I think um, I even saw a May date in there. I'm not sure, though. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I go to the ones that are in California, um, but, like, it just seems like it's ballooning. Like, it started out with, like, the Santa Cruz showing, which was just one showing, mm-hmm. and then it went to San Francisco, which had one showing, and then that turned into two showings after that sold out, and then it turned into three showings after that sold out, <laughs> and then that sold out as well. So it Dang. seems like every stop that they have, it doubles or triples. Um, because it keeps selling out. So they're obviously going to continue to do it uh, if everything's moving so smoothly. Um, but yeah, the next showing that I'm doing, uh, me and Danielle will both be there. It's at the Palo Alto showing. Um, I don't know what the theater's called, but um, it's about an hour from where I live, so it's pretty easy to get there. And there's actually two back-to-back showings, and I think one of them sold out, and the other one's like almost completely sold out. And that actually happens tomorrow. But... I assume that once the tour stops, they will release it, but I don't know. I, I have no idea. All right, uh, one sec. Let me Google the theater and book some plane tickets quick. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you guys? You guys are in Minnesota or something, right? Uh, I am. Red is. I'm okay. off on the East Coast, anonymously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know they're moving downwards. I think they're going to L.A., but and I think that then they're going to bop around. I don't know. I think they're, they're doing Philadelphia. Uh, they just announced Philadelphia, really, and Texas, and I think some other place. I don't know. Oh, jeez. I asked them if they were going to do a Twin Cities uh, venue, but they said that they want to, but they weren't sure about it. And obviously, 
nothing's been done yet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they're dealing with it. Like, it was... So the first showing was on my birthday, and it was by far the greatest birthday gift ever in one of the most memorable days of my life. It was <laughs> completely surreal and totally insane and quite overwhelming. I couldn't completely watch the whole movie with people in the theater. It was the first time I had watched the movie with other people around and um, in a theater period. Uh, and it made me very, uh, I felt very uneasy. There are certain parts of the movie that I just cannot be in the theater with other people while they're happening because I feel mm-hmm. like I'm going to jump out of my skin and run screaming. But it's, uh, <laughs> it was, it was crazy to see. And then even crazier, the response afterward and just kind of being mobbed by people was, was overwhelming in all the great and horrible ways. And, uh, I, I, I enjoyed the bit of stardom that I had at that point, and uh, it quickly turned into, I really don't want to be around people and I can't stand it anymore. Uh, this is just not for me. Uh, I don't I don't know how to interact with that large amount of people, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm an asshole if I'm being dismissive because I have to be somewhere. Um, it's not a lifestyle that I want to be in. <laughs> mm-hmm. But luckily, I only have to do it when I'm, you know, at a showing or whatever, or possibly a GDC. So other than that, you know, nobody knows who the fuck I am unless I'm around very specific people. So, um, but it was very, a very, very odd experience. I can't really, I can't really explain it, but it was um, mostly an overwhelming feeling of guilt because I feel like these people are being so genuinely nice and kind and there's so many of them and I want to be able to fully appreciate what they're trying to give to me, but um, I also either need to be going somewhere or I need to, to talk to another person or whatever else. And it was just something I'm not familiar with in the slightest and felt quite, quite weird about. But, um, yeah, it's quite odd. I have no idea if or how things will change when it's released to the masses. Um, but, I mean, the movie's really great. So I expect a lot of people to probably watch it, and and uh, it, it'll be it'll definitely be interesting. Um, I kind of it's weird to be <clears throat> recognized for a part I play in a movie um, <laughs> as opposed to what I do. Um, that's very very odd and not something that I really like. But um, luckily, you know, my character in the movie, which is myself. Uh, <laughs> It makes makes a video game called Super Meat Boys, so it's kind of people do reference it when they ask about the movie. So I guess that's pretty cool. But it's um, I'm I guess I'm starting to get a bigger picture of exactly what people see and how they experience it and how it kind of changes the way I'm viewed. And uh, it's it's a bit odd, but of course I'll adapt as you know time passes. But yeah. it's just it's a bit strange to be I you know identified for hey you're Edmund it's like I don't know how you know me like uh, <laughs> like, like I, if I if I ever and which has maybe been five times in my life been stopped on the street and somebody identifies me they say hey it's super meat boy you know something like that um, never by name you know never quoting what I say you know uh, it's just really odd that's um, gonna be really awkward for anyone who doesn't know what they're talking about too Hey, it's super meatful over there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, 
I guess I guess in a lot of ways, like I mean, I knew what I was getting into, of course, um, and I, I knew the movie was going to be awesome because the people are awesome and they're very good at what they do. Um, but I didn't. I I never. There's no way to ever fully understand, you know, how this is going to change your life when you jump into it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't at all say it's a negative thing, but it's just it's a it definitely changes things. It, it changes things, and even though, you know, only a couple thousand people have seen the movie and it's not been released to the masses, it's already kind of changed perspective for a lot of different people to who who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, even though who I am is genuine in the movie, who I am in the movie was just who I was in a few months of my life in the most stressful time of my life. And uh-huh. uh, it's kind of odd to read reviews that call me, like, an, like, like an always happy, you know, like... <laughs> I'm like the happy person in the movie, and like that's not <laughs> no, nobody. Nobody in my life who's ever known me would ever say, "Oh, oh, Edmund, he's just always happy." <laughs> it's uh, it's just not. It's just very odd for somebody to describe me that way. But I can see the movie, and and especially compared to everybody else in the movie, I probably do come off very hopeful and happy. You know, I'm always laughing, whatever else. But I'm usually laughing at the absurdity of how horrible the situations that I'm currently in are. <laughs> like, it was just so ridiculous at that point in my life that I couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to just start crying. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'd much rather laugh it off and think of how, you know, absurdly awful things are um, than, you know, cry about it. Mm-hmm. But, it, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's very weird to be called a gentle giant in you know, view and stuff like that. It's like, it's um, it's definitely a part of who I am, but it's not who I am. Like I, I, I feel like I wonder if people are gonna see the movie and then look me up or something and then see like I made a game called Cunt or Binding of Isaac and maybe look up interviews where I might say you know, uh, mean or offensive things and think, hey, this isn't the character he was in the movie. <laughs> it was all scripted. <laughs> we should have been counting the number of times it's cursed so far. <laughs> I have. So far, it's, uh... I can't count this high. <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, don't have enough fingers anymore, and I'm not very good with math, so... Fuck fingers. <laughs> oh, Alright, add one. The, the movie is definitely... Um, it's a cool, life-changing experience, for sure. Um, and it definitely has negatives and positives, but the negatives usually just have to do with getting used to the perspective of of uh, the, the, the the way people view me and how it's changed. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, everything's been really super positive. You know, the assholes are going to always be there, but they're kind of laughable at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, the emails I get about the movie and I don't know, it's really cool. Everything's really cool, but I, I, hope, I hope that in the end people would remember me more for my work and then not just the, you know, me and the movie. Right, uh, Medis, Medis, Meduse, something like that, <clears throat> asked, what is his favorite low-budget diet? Low-budget diet, okay, I've got a few. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> um, well, okay, so these, okay, number one, I've got my best low-budget diet, which actually put me in the hospital, um, which put me in the debt, like, a lot. Erica, I try it, want to start. <laughs> And that would be the Little Caesars $5 pizza diet. Uh, it's, uh, 
what I would do was I'd, you know, I'd spend five bucks and I'd eat half of a pizza for lunch and then the other half of the pizza for dinner. Um, and I did that for almost the majority of, uh, I'm the kind of guy who can eat the same thing, like, for a while. And I usually run it into the ground and then I hate it. But um, with Little Caesars, I seem to be able to do it almost daily um, and be fine. And uh, it was very cheap. And, of course, I had to you know, eat cheap. And uh, that uh, fucked my gallbladder up really bad. And I had to have my gallbladder removed. And it cost 50 grand because I was I had to have emergency surgery. And I was actually in the hospital for three days. So I wouldn't recommend that one. Uh, another one that both me and my wife did when we had absolutely no money and lived in a room uh, was the top ramen and egg diet. And uh, that's just top ramen. You know, it's super fucking cheap. Most people who are probably in college know what I'm talking about. If you put an egg in it, it's extra awesome. It's quite good, actually. Um, the egg sucks up all the flavor of the top ramen and makes an extra extra bit of texture there. It's uh, quite, quite good. Um, and uh, other than that, I would say the Taco Bell burrito diet, which actually lost a good deal of weight on when I was doing that, when I just was kind of so poor that all I could eat was one burrito for lunch and one burrito for dinner, maybe two burritos for dinner, which is about like a $3 a day diet. Uh, and uh, I actually somehow lost weight off of that. Um, but then I probably, well, I gained it all back to my, went to the pizza diet. But uh, yeah, I think those are the, my, my top threes as far as uh, really cheap diets go. Wouldn't recommend any of them. I've got, I've got, <laughs> I've got some news for people out here. They're, uh, for some bizarre reason, the, the poorer foods, uh, they fuck you up the worst. I don't know. I think it's a government conspiracy. Most likely. Is that a cat? Oh, uh, yeah. I've got, like, a couple of them. Gotcha. Uh, you got some pussy over there. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's kind of scary, because somebody just asked me to ask you if you ever have considered making a game with kittens. With kittens? Yeah. Like, with, with them doing the work? Well, obviously, because kittens don't have a program. <laughs> what else are kittens good for? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, oh, well, cats are, cats are actually quite prominent in uh, The Binding of Isaac, so they definitely come through. Um, Guppy, my, which is my cat, my um, our oldest cat, uh, Guppy's been with us for a very long time, and he is very prominent in Isaac, um, and he'll be very even more prominent in the expansion. Uh, yep, he's, he's, he's pretty cool. And we've got, uh, three other ones. So we got four cats total. Cool. Two of them are hairless. And, oh. um, two of them have hair. Two of them are black. Guppy's <laughs> black. If I could get them to work, I would work with them. But, <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they all have some really bizarre personalities. They're quite different. And, uh, uh, Tammy, which is the hairless one that, if you've seen the movie, you'll know who she is. She's a bitch. She's very stuck up, and she, she's just snooty, and she would never work. It's There's no way in hell you could get her to work if you were working with her on a video game. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, Cricket, who's the youngest, she'd probably try to help, but then just fart. And it'd be really <laughs> want to work with her. A little awkward there. And I mean, Guppy would probably be the best worker, but he's really dumb. And like, he has no idea. <laughs> That's probably why. <laughs> he'll just, he just like, he'd end up staring at you the whole time, like right in your face. Like he's the kind of cat who like get right up in your face and just stare at you blankly <laughs> without blinking. 
So it'd just be awkward. And then Moxie is like, she's like a tomboy cat, and she just likes, she's kind of like a dog. So she, she'll either like be in the window constantly, or like want you to throw the the mouse for her to play fetch or spin around <laughs> the ground or something. It's just be distracting. So they're all quite horrible to work with. So I wouldn't want to work with them. <laughs> Um, you did say that its name is Guppy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I was saying it right. So, basically, you'd be like, okay, Guppy, go ahead and compile the game. I think we almost have it done. And then you'd be like, shit, no, that's the delete button! Oh. <laughs> he, would just, yeah, he would just walk over the keyboard and then just sit down. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'll, start ex- he'll expose himself and then lick himself in front of you awkwardly. It's a horrible, horrible cat to work with. Jeez. You'll probably throw up too at some point. <laughs> Any other questions that I can find? Um, I think we covered just about all of them. I think there Except were. Except for the ones in our mind. So I had to say that before I uh, lost the entire thing of the rhyme there. <laughs> find, mind, you know. Venus. Oh, I see where you're going. <laughs> Venus, like on your elbow, right? Oh, yeah, Um. Oh, my God, I'm talking to this guy right now, and he has no idea what indie game the movie is. I'm about ready to smack him across the face. (laughs) I feel like right now online, the movie is more known for the parody that uh, Mega64 did for GDC that just came out than the actual trailer itself. I think they're... I think... Let's actually look. I think by now, they probably have... As many views as the trailer for any game the movie has. No, they got half it, but close enough. It's a pretty good trailer. That was pretty funny mm-hmm. to see at GDC. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Uh, is it's it... like an action parody. Like they they took the trailer and spliced <laughs> it and made it like a like an action movie. Oh, well, cool. just saved me. Is it available on uh, the the webs? It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah, perfect. It's a trailer. So yes, yeah. I, I found it and well. Don't really want to watch in the middle of the interview, but. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll check that out afterwards. Oh, and Ian sent me the link. Perfect. All right. Chance has three questions, which is quite lovely. His last game, The Binding of Isaac, has some interesting biblical themes. Could Edmund uh, comment on how this came to be? Yeah, I was. I grew up Catholic. There you go. I mean, if you grew up Catholic, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it works. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I well, I grew up Catholic, and I always thought it was really interesting, um, and I still do. I'm not religious um, now at all, and I really wasn't when I was younger, but I always thought the mythology of Catholicism was pretty cool um, in a really dark way, and it's probably the reason why all of my games are quite dark, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, when you grow up with you know, a picture of a dying man on your wall, you know, <laughs> and that, and you look up to him as like your, you know, father or your God. It's, um, it's weird, you know, and, and, uh, especially when you're young and you understand, I don't know, I felt like I was quite young and I didn't believe in the Bible, but I, I thought the stories were really cool. Um, in the same way that like Grimm's fairy tales are really cool. And, uh, in a lot of ways, the Binding of Isaac was a retelling of, of, of the story of the Binding of Isaac from the Bible um, in a Grimm's fairy tale kind of way. And uh, that's basically it. I mean, 
I got to just play around with a lot of elements of religion that I thought were interesting. And I got to talk about them and explore them in different ways. That was basically it. I mean, it wasn't like I was abused like that when I was a kid or anything. <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, the, the, the religion was floating around. And on the other side of my family, there were all born-again Christians who were quite hardcore and very um, in the 80s with the whole, like, you're going to go to hell if you play D&D or magic or whatever. Oh, my else. God. So that's 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 where a lot of that stuff came from too. So I mean, in a lot of ways, the Mighty Isaac's religious aspects were just an exploration of my experience with religion growing up, and you know the interesting aspects as well as the not so interesting aspects. And uh, that's kind of what I was looking to explore when I started. That kind of answers his next question, which uh, is about the mother-son relationship in the Binding Isaac. And he asked if it's semi-autobiographical. That's yeah, no, that'd be a that's freaky. a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, when he was a kid, yeah, you know, decided yeah. to jump down the basement. There was a lot of shit down there. <laughs> some really crazy stuff. He made a few deals with the devil. You know, died a few times. Yeah, yep. when the kid came out, um, my mom saw it and she was like, "We're gonna think I'm a horrible mother." <laughs> of course, she bad in the slightest. My mom wasn't really even that religious. Uh, and, I mean, she was a single mother, so maybe some of that was one of the reasons why I decided to go with that. Um, but she wasn't a bad mom. My mom was a great mom. And, uh, you know, the, the religious uh, extremism in my family didn't come from my mother's side at all. And it came from my father's side, and it wasn't really uh, – I didn't have that much interaction with them. It was just a few trips over to the McMillans, you know, to – to for thanksgiving or whatever else and i was told i was going to hell a few times and you know of course left an impression on me but not to the point of you know anything being autobiographical the reason why that shit happens is because it's based on the story uh and then his third question is in braid you were the original artist but the graphics were replaced by david hellman's art before release what's the story behind this yeah i came on so i played braid when it was again referencing any game of the movie if you've seen any game of the movie you'll see some really 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 crude sprites from the early betas um when it was entered in the igf and i was one of the judges for the igf um that year i don't remember what year it was a while ago maybe 2006 and uh i played this prototype and i thought it was amazing like it was horrible looking just like the most god-awful garbagey looking placeholder art i've ever seen <laughs> but the actual gameplay and the story at the end, which actually had a, a, a more defined story um, and ending, which just floored me. Like, I'd never been so floored by an ending of a video game. It just seemed like, it, it, back then, it seemed like it just pushed video games into this realm where it was like, it was very inspiring to me. I was like, oh my god, like, this is what video games can be. Of course, that changed in the release, and uh, I'm sure he has his own reasons and probably doesn't even want me talking about what it was before because i'm sure it changed for him as well but it was the original story um and how it was also told through gameplay that just just floored me like i'd never been so just oh my god like you know jaw to mm -hmm. the floor sort of situation and and i said i you know i have to be a part of this like i have to be some part of this you know and i can i could draw so i contacted him and asked if he was looking for an artist and he said yes and i actually worked with him um on the game for about 
I want to say like maybe nine months doing art for him. And I ended up designing like all the characters and I did all the animation for all the characters. And that, and around the time that I came on, David Hellman came on and he was just going to be doing the background art. <clears throat> and at some, at a, at a certain point, I think it was when I started working on, I was actually working on Gish 2 for Xbox Live, which is a whole different story in itself, but um, I couldn't work on the game anymore. And John asked if I could, if I could repaint all the frames of all the animations in Photoshop to make them look more like Hellman's art. And I was like, ah, there's no way, like there, there, there's no way I can, you know, I can draw, I can't, you know, I, I don't do his style. Like I can't, I can't do his style at all. And I don't think it would look really good with that. And also it would just take a shitload of time mm-hmm. and I didn't have the time. So he said, okay. And he, he, he had David repaint the sprites and um, a few of the sprites had to be modified heavily. Like uh, I know Tim's head, um, his eyes got bigger and I think his nose got more prominent and they gave him reddish hair instead of brown hair. And they, I think they made him a bit thinner, but I mean the core of the design kind of stayed and all the frames of animation for his body, legs and hair and head was exactly what I drew, um, uh, just painted over. Um, and that's basically the, the story. I just didn't have, I didn't have the time to do it and I didn't have the skills to paint like David. So I couldn't. Um, but yeah, in the end, I mean, I, I really didn't have any part in what made the game good in any way. Um, I, I kind of wish I would have tried to push the envelope a bit on the, on the design of the characters because I, but back then I was kind of so intimidated by John that I didn't want to step on any toes. Like I, I, I wanted him to have his vision and, and I didn't want to really give much input on what I thought I, because, you know, he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I didn't really have much part in any aspect of what made the game good. I just wanted to be a part of it in some way because I thought it was so inspiring. Um, and it definitely was. It was uh, one of few games back then that I played that I was like, oh, this is what games can be. And, uh, you know, I, I really liked it. I liked, I liked being shown options that I didn't completely realize were there until I saw them in game form. I completely agree with just about everything you say <laughs> with the whole games as art thing you know there there's two categories of my favorite games and there's games that are really fun to play and then there's games that just make me look at it differently and just kind of like whoa am i playing a game or wh- wh- what is this this is whoa so scenario. <laughs> sorry just throwing that out there <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right, so I believe we got through everyone's questions. Only took us like an hour. Um, <laughs> all right, so sorry for anyone that we missed. I hope we got them all in. But now we're going to ask our own questions. Would you like to go first, Ian? Ladies first. All right, then. So, Edmund... When you're programming, do you prefer to program with your shirt or without your shirt? I don't program. Oh. So. Duh. Shirt on. Shirt on. Wow. <laughs> dumb question. Dumb question. But but I but I, I do know Tommy sometimes programs with a shirt off. Ah uh, okay. When. I don't know when. No, I, I mean when is in when like success. A win. Yes. I thought there was a H. When. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do still uh, win WHIN sometimes, so it's understandable. Yeah, you guys are from opposite borders. <laughs> a little bit of a difference oh, in accents. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm in the middle. Uh, awkward. You sound gay now. <laughs> oh, wow. It's funny because it's true. Anyways. <laughs> so, when you first started programming, or not, God! <laughs> when you first started game development and game design, did you think that you'd be as far as you are today? No, I, um, no. I, it, a lot changed, um, in the past ten years. Like, when I, when I got into game design and when I started getting interested in it, I was, like, twenty years old, mm-hmm. and I didn't... I didn't even see, I didn't realize what I was doing was game design. Like, when I was in high school, I would fool around with, like, the Duke Nukem 3D editor, and I made games in click and play, and that sort of stuff, too. I was into D&D, but I would only play as the DM, and no one would play with me, so I ended up, like, designing these games, in quotes, um, on paper, and I really enjoyed that aspect. You know, I just enjoyed creating these things, but I never really realized anything I was doing was game design or game design related um, until like like 2001 or two when I started making kind of interactive flash stuff, mm-hmm. and then and then I uh, found the site called Newgrounds, uh, <laughs> which was like a flash portal back then, and I met this guy named Tom Fulp, who's like one of the key people for me, video game-wise, that kind of showed me what independent games were. I don't even think he realized he was making independent games. He was just making shitloads of Flash games. Mm-hmm. Before Flash was really... It wasn't made to make games. Like, you were supposed to make games with it. But he was making all these, like, really basic interactive point-and-click adventure type stuff. And it was really inspiring. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And again, didn't realize I was making games, but ended up making a few little Flash games. And from then found out about this company called Chronic Logic, which just happened to be, like, down the street from where I lived. <laughs> and they made this game called Bridge Builder, um, which I had actually played online. It was, like, a kind of, like, a, a little bit of a viral. Back then, it was, was much smaller than now, viral. But a little bit of a viral game, um, which wasn't in Flash. It was made in C. And uh, <clears throat> I, I volunteered my time with them, and it kind of opened my eyes to this whole scene where, like, I got invited to this place this thing called GDC. And it's fucking funny now because in 2002, or I think it was the first one I went to, in 2002, GDC was quite literally like one, one sixtieth of what it is now. It was like one large room with a few booths in it of like all these different companies that are kind of looking, you know, if people are looking for work and that's all it was. And then they opened the IGF, um, which was, like five games that were just complete crap. It was just like really crappy little games. And uh, we entered the IGF with a game that I ended up pitching, Gish, um, to the company, and it made it into the finals. And that was just kind of like, that's when I finally realized what I was doing. Like, I finally realized, oh shit, like, I'm making games and this is really new and fresh and not many people are doing this. Like, this is a whole, this is a big opportunity here that I should really go all in on and uh from then on over the course of you know eight years or whatever i just kept making games and kept making games and you know with each game you have like a little epiphany and you realize 
oh shit, like another door opens in a way. Like, and I, I just, I just leveled up or I just got better. I have a better understanding of games now and game design because I created this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it stacks up. And that's basically where I am now. I ended up here. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know this would happen. I didn't think it was an option. Even when we won the IGF in 2005, in 2005, um, after that, I thought, oh, well, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing bigger than this for me. Like, I can't go bigger than this. Mm-hmm. Like, Gish came out. I don't even remember how many copies it sold, but it made like, it made like three hundred thousand dollars in like a four-year period, which was a lot then, which is not that much now. It's you know probably what most people get paid just working, but um, split three ways. Uh, it was just I didn't think these were options, and then suddenly all these other doors started opening up, and people are like letting independent games beyond console and xbox live and then steam pops up and they're all about independent games and then you know independent game movies get made and <laughs> suddenly i'm doing a console game you know and so on and so forth it's just although i was just kind of at the right place at the right time and i put in the time and, and, and effort and work it took to level up enough to for people to give a shit about anything i was doing and i just ended up here it was just something i thought was fun and this is where I ended up. So what exactly would you say to people that want to really get good at game development and game design? What, what, what is the number one thing you recommend them doing? <clears throat> well, there's a few things. I think the number one is just make as many games as you possibly can and don't worry about making money. Like I get a lot of people IMing me and saying, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to start my new game. Can you tell me about monetization and flash sponsorships? And I tell them, no, like, you're not going to make money off your first game. That shouldn't be your goal. Like, don't you, you shouldn't need to worry about that. If you're just getting into games and you want to make a game, you should never be thinking, I wonder how much money I can make off this. I didn't make any money off of, like, a shitload of my games. It wasn't even an option, really. But, like, I, I didn't make any money off of my games. I did it because it was fun, and that's how I learned. Like, if my goal was to make money with my first game that I ever did that I did for free which was called Welling, which was a long time ago, if, if I, I would have been so disappointed, I would have quit. Like, I'd have been like, oh, I didn't make fucking, I didn't make anything. This isn't going to, this isn't going to be lucrative. Like, I can't pay the rent with this. This isn't fun. And then I would have left. So you can't go in doing that, you know, and of course things are different now and you possibly could make money, but it just shouldn't be something that you are looking at as like the end game. Like, just, I'm echoing Oh no! Had another echo. I think it's just your microphone. Like if you don't, if you don't speak for a certain amount of time, I think it's picking me up. Oh, I see. Yeah, that that could be. Is it better now? Um, not really. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually like on Skype, if I'm talking to Tommy and this happens, he'll like clap his hands next to the microphone and it'll fix it. Okay. Like that? Right, let's see if that worked. Yep, that worked. Oh my god. Well, that... it, might, it might go back to the way it was before, though, if you stop talking. Okay. <laughs> We're yeah. just going to be awkwardly murmuring in the background now for the rest of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. Dude, that's, that's really awesome, though, because that happens every once in a while while we're uh, interviewing people. So now all i got to do is just... Yeah, except... So how did you meet Tommy? 
um, uh, I actually met Tommy. I knew of Tommy. I, I, I knew about Tommy back in the Newgrounds days. Like, we both linked each other, like, on, um, we had, like, a web, we called them web rings back then. <laughs> okay. So, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy and I met, um, or knew of each other a long time ago because we both linked each other in a little web ring, which was associated with Newgrounds. It was called the Newgrounds Network. And we each had these little tanks that we put on our website somewhere. And when you click the tank, it went to this portal page that said, like, here are all the people that are in the Newgrounds Network. And my site was called This is a Cry for Help, and his site was called Tommyism. And we both made really weird stuff. Uh, Tommy was, I was known for these games called Dead Baby Dress Up. And Tommy was known for, he had two games. One was called uh, Bitch Hunt, and, and the other one was called Nail Jesus to the Cross. So I knew, I knew of his work way back then. Um, I don't know if I ever really talked to him online then, but we knew who we were. And then fast forward to like 2008, um, I ran into Tommy at, at GDC, and it was kind of like, hey, you remember me of Tommyism? And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a card for help. And he's like, yeah, I know who you are. And like, we started talking a bit and, and then um, ended up talking more online, and we just kind of got along really well. And I asked him if he wanted to make a quick Flash game or whatever, and he's like, sure. And we made this game called Gray Matter, and um, it was pretty awesome. And I just, I mean, aside from how good the game was, it was more like I really enjoyed working with him. And around that time, we were working on Gish 2. Um, with, I was working with Alex Austin, the guy who did uh, programming for Gish. Um, and we were going to do that for console, but we needed somebody who's experienced with like console programming. And that's actually what Tommy did in the uh, in-between period between, like, Newgrounds and now, uh, he actually did console development. So he was going to come fly down and stay with us to do the development of Gish 2, but Gish 2, like, wasn't moving at all, and things just weren't happening, and it was just, there was no productivity happening whatsoever, um, and it was pretty discouraging. So while that was kind of going on, Tommy's like, hey, you want to make a console game? And around that time, I was getting all these different offers from different people because uh, 2008 was like a really big year for me and I had made a shitload of games and got a lot of attention and Nintendo was one of the people that contacted me and since Gish 2 was going to be for Xbox I thought you know if this is so you know slow moving maybe we should do a little game for Wii and that game was Super Meat Boy that's how it originally started it was like a side project to do while Gish 2 wow. got developed and uh in the end, Gish 2 got canceled because it didn't actually, there was no work done on it. It just sat there. And uh, Tommy and I were like, well, what should we do? I mean, we have this deal with Microsoft. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, make it look like we're losers. Like, we just couldn't get, we couldn't hack it with Gish 2. So we were like, hey, how about you take Super Meat Boy? Like, it's going to be good. We have a prototype. And they're like, oh, and it took some major convincing. Um <laughs> For, for quite a while and kind of came back with like okay we'll 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 pick up we'll switch it out for for super meat boy um as long as you agree to not do it for the playstation and you can still do it for the wii or whatever of course we know that the wii didn't end up happening for file size issues but um that's basically it and i left uh cryptic c which was the company name and took tommy home and tommy lived with me and danielle for a few months and we started working on meat boy full time and the rest is cinematic history. <laughs> <laughs>
And that's that's the basic story of how I met Tommy. That, that's a pretty cool story. Maybe I was just going to comment about how I was kind of shocked that Super Meat Boy was going to originally be for the Wii. I actually never knew that. So, if, if it would have been for the Wii, how would you have gone about doing that? It would have been the same. Like, it was it was for the Wii. Like, it worked on the Wii, but the, the whole problem was, like, we developed it cross-platform. It actually worked on the PlayStation 3 as well, because when we were pitching to Microsoft, we were also talking to Sony. But Sony never got back to us, so it seemed like they weren't interested. And a lot of the people, like, people don't understand now. They, they see, oh, you know, Super Meat Boy... You know, it did well and people liked it. So then they go like, "Why didn't you fucking? Why didn't you? Why did you let them put that in the contract so you couldn't do PlayStation Three or whatever else? Or why didn't Sony get back to you?" And it's like, nobody fucking knew who we were. Like we had no pool. We were two unknown dudes who who just happened to get a deal. You know, <laughs> we were lucky that these people were even talking to us. Like, it, it, we didn't have any pool. We couldn't say no. We're gonna do it for all platforms. It was like, all right, well, Sony's not really responding, so whatever. But yeah, we we had it all cross-platform, and Tommy made an engine himself that actually worked on like all systems. And uh, we the whole time developing until like maybe like the last six months of development, we had a working build on the Wii, of course, in much lower resolution, um, and everything was moving smoothly. But the thing is, at the very end of development, things kind of ballooned a bit. And we were really, really, really proud of what we were doing. And we never really, we kind of lost track of the file size. And we also, we had heard that there was a file size limitation, but we thought it was optional. We thought they'd be able to make an exception, but it was actually a hardware thing. So, like, we couldn't do it. There was, like, no way to really do it unless we wanted to, like, break the game into chunks, which we did not want to do. And, um, by honestly, by that time, like, we was performing we wear was performing so poorly that it, it didn't even seem to be worth it like there was there was just no point but yeah I and mean, that's basically the uh the we wear story um it's it's it sucks because we really had a really good relationship with nintendo and we still do and we would like to do more stuff with nintendo but that was kind of a clusterfuck i mean we was a bit of a clusterfuck <laughs> um <clears throat> speaking of nintendo i don't exactly know exactly what was happening i said exactly twice but there was something going around about a binding of isaac uh nintendo ds port what exactly yeah. happened with that uh we we had a publisher um offer us to do the port for us um for binding of isaac and then put it up on of the 3DS store, which I really wanted to do and still would like to do. Um, and, uh, of course, when you before you start developing, you want to get approval. So we submitted it to Nintendo, and it seemed to get approval. But they said, you know, don't, you know, don't start working on it yet. We still need some higher-up approval because of the game's religious content. We don't know if it will be upsetting to people. And there was some talk about, like, is the game blasphemous or is it religious? Because if it's blasphemous, it's probably okay because there's a lot of blasphemy in video games. But if it's religious, then it could be on shaky ground because Nintendo likes to shy away from religious things. I mean, they were known for even cutting, like, there was some sort of, like, ceremonial chanting in, like, The Legend of Zelda that was removed when they ported it to 3DS and stuff like that. Like, they're they're known for removing anything minor religious-wise that might upset somebody. Um, so I was a bit worried, but... 
I thought that it would push towards blasphemy because around that time, like Germany was already giving it a higher rating for blasphemy. So I was hopeful, and it's and Nintendo was hopeful. Like everybody I talked to was like, oh yeah, we think it's going to go through because you've got a rating in Germany and it's not an AO rating, so it's probably going to fly. And and then it just kind of got drawn out for a long time, and then we finally just got a response from this random person saying, you know, no, we it's just not something we can get behind because of the religious stuff. And that was it. And, you know, I don't really, I can't really fault them for it. You know, I understand as a company, you don't want to upset a shitload of people. It's not like they, they're not Steam, you know, they don't have the freedom of the internet. You know, when you're already on the internet, uh, most people can expect to be offended by something, so they don't really care about whatever. You know, Steam doesn't even require ESRB. Um, it's pretty awesome. Like, you have the complete freedom on Steam to do whatever you want. Um, but with Nintendo, you know, they are known as, as an E for everyone type company. And I can understand why they would like to shy away from something that could be controversial religiously for them or make them look bad in some way. So, you know, whatever. It sucks that it couldn't have got on there. I'd really like to do it, but it just is, isn't an option, I guess. But again, like we are, we are openly talking to Nintendo about everything. So it's not like just because Binding of Isaac didn't get okay just because Super Meat Boy didn't get put on WiiWare doesn't mean anything. Like, we could still possibly release a game for their next system. Who knows? But um, we're not discounting anything. I'd love to work with Nintendo. The end. The end. <laughs> All of a sudden, Edmund just disappears. <clears throat> I, I do see where you're coming from with the whole Nintendo religion thing. It is disappointing that you guys aren't going to be having it for the Nintendo 3DS, because I know a lot of people were excited for it. Even I was, obviously. Well, I was I'm excited for it. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. love to have something else to play on there that I could play. You know, it, 3DS could really... I think a game like Isaac would work really well on a handheld system. You know, it's not coming to come out for a touchscreen system, because there's no fucking way that's going to happen. Like, you know how many buttons that is? It's like nine buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Put one finger down to move left, two fingers down to move right. <laughs> what? It was really only working on an iPad then. <laughs> You're sitting here like, ten fingers on. Crap, no, I only meant nine. Oh. Alright, I kind of got to wrap this up because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starving and so is Danielle. So. Alright, uh, yeah, I was just about to ask. A final question, that would be awesome. So, Edmund, you've just won the award for best indie gamer of the year what are you gonna do now <laughs> make probably make a new game that's what i would do perfect make make a game that will upset some people and make other people really happy that Sounds is good. the perfect answer all right well yeah. thanks for doing the interview edmund uh me and ian really enjoyed it and uh we hope to keep in touch Totally. Yeah, tell me when it's edited and up, and I'll, uh, I'll link it on Twitter and all that usual stuff. All right, sounds good. And then uh, say say hello to Danielle for me. If, unless She's here. Oh, hello. hello. I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll let you guys go eat uh, some food. All right, take it easy. Yep, right. see you. Bye. Since that was so long, we're going to go on to our credits after this short music break.
Thank you for listening in to broadcast number 24 of Indie Radio. This broadcast was broadcasted live with the 1000 mics and was recorded using Adosti. All music was found on Newgrounds, coming from Nemesis Theory and Three Clicks Philip. Thank you again for listening in, and we hope to have you be a part of the next broadcast, which will be April 14th. Next broadcast, we plan on interviewing Danny Baranowski, and if that falls through, we'll find another interview. Have a good weekend.